Welcome in everybody on the network now. Good to have you. Bill Michael show is on the air back from vacation, feeling great and uh, and just kind of anxious to get back at it. I know football season right around the corner with training camp only about a week away. And you've got uh, in addition to that, you got the Brewers with a big sweep over the Reds. We're going to talk with Mo Egger of ESPN radio down in Cincinnati coming up here at the bottom of the hour. We'll talk with him about where the Reds are at now when it comes to being two games back and what their mentality is going into the trade deadline here at the end of the month. So we'll get his uh, side of this as the Brewers uh, right now feeling good uh, about where they sit. If you want to chime in, 877-867-1670. If you want to let your voice be heard, do it. Uh, otherwise, you can find us over on Twitter, at Bill underscore Michaels, at Bill underscore Michaels. You can find us over on Facebook and Instagram, facebook.com slash The Bill Michael Show. Facebook.com slash The Bill Michael Show. You can uh, pay attention to us there. Follow the same thing on Instagram, The Bill Michael Show on Instagram. Uh, you can find us uh, on Twitch TV, on YouTube TV, on Click TV, uh, and over on Twitter. The Twitter link goes up to watch us there. So plenty of ways to watch the program and listen to it at the same time. And then you can always find us after the fact on Spotify, Apple iTunes, and Google Podcasts as well. And yes, uh, I had a few people that uh, reached out, and I did uh, check uh, on Monday and Tuesday and uh, some people were asking Grant about you, about is Grant now in charge of putting up the podcast and is he going to be the one? Because Ben used to do it all the time. And uh, and is Grant going to be doing all that? And I said, yes, Grant, we, we will be back to a regular schedule and everything will be fine. And I will be right with the world for people that can consume the program live or on a tape delayed basis. But at least they can go to the podcast section now over on the website, DeboMichaels.com, and they can catch all the information there. So there you go. By the way, a lot of compliments. For you, Grant. Really? The show last week. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's very nice, folks. I, I had, that. as a matter of fact, um, uh, one of my friends in Wausau that uh, was down here for the Harley Davidson uh, 120th anniversary celebration this past weekend said, uh, for what you had to work with, it did really well. <laughs> Saying that there wasn't a lot of topics out there. There wasn't a lot you could talk about. So no. he, he said, no, for what, what he had to work with, he did really well. So uh, I, I was like, well, that's good. No, like I said, Nobody drove the train off the tracks. Everything's good, right with the world. And now we get into, once you get through, it's kind of like walking through the desert. You know, you start the desert and you're like, ah, this isn't so bad. And then you get into the mi middle of the desert and you're like, boy, this sucks. This is terrible. And then you start to come out of the desert and you can kind of see the oasis off in the distance. That's the, that's football season in the second half of baseball and the Brewers winning and a pennant chase. And then you get into, you know, cut down day and different roster moves and, who looks good, who doesn't look good, and then you're you're back on, you know, with a plethora of things to talk about, you know, the virtual Thanksgiving cornucopia of stuff. So once you get through the desert, you're good to go. Um, we talked a little bit earlier today uh, how the, uh, the pundits were saying that it could be possible that the Green Bay Packers win the division over the Detroit Lions. Um, I – and I want to go back to that. The – the 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 comments regarding the Packers winning the division have to be predicated upon is this team if you go Grant, if you go pound for pound, talent for talent, up and down rosters, do the Packers have what you would consider to be the best roster in the division? Probably not. I'd say Detroit probably does. Right. If you have to go say position of influence quarterback position wide receiver position running back position cornerback position and pass rusher position 
So you look at those. You know, I, I know Ted Thompson used to tell me all the time, you got to look up the gut. Look up the gut. And I'd always ask him what he meant by that. He'd say, okay, if I'm going to go with offense, you look at the specialists. On the defense, you got to go up the gut. you got to look at the best nose tackle. you got to get one of the better linebackers, and you got to get one of the better safeties and one of the better corners. you got to go up the gut. So do the Packers up the gut, defensively speaking, have a better roster of players than the other teams in this division? And with that being said, maybe you say an all-pro in Kenny Clark, that a season Devontae Campbell had a couple of years ago, if he comes back to that, yeah. I don't know what you're going to get out of the safety position, but Darnell Savage certainly might have learned his lesson after kind of finding his way into the doghouse last year. And then you got the highest-paid corner. It, well, what was the highest-paid corner in the league in Jair? Up to gut are the Packers the best? I think you can make a case. The Vikings really right. gutted their defense. The Lions' defense was horrible last year, and the Bears did. I mean, they were giving up 40, 50 points a week. So you could make a case for the Packers, I think, just as well as you could make a case for right. any other team. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. So I kind of have to step back and say, okay, at the wide receiver position, clearly that's right now that's Minnesota. Minnesota's got, with Justin Jefferson and company, what they added in the offseason via the draft, they, they've got all that personnel. They did let go of Dalvin Cook. Now, I don't think Madison's anywhere near what, what Dalvin Cook was, and I know they're acting like it. This is kind of like when everybody was saying, I oh, don't worry, look at the Packers' record without, the, uh, without Devontae. No. <laughs> you lose a big talent, there's a fall-off. I don't think Alexander Madison is the guy. Uh, he's a decent backup piece, but he's not the guy. So I think they're going to take a hit there. Kirk Cousins, certainly one of the most decorated quarterbacks as far as total overall regular season wins goes. But Goff is the better quarterback when it comes to postseason. Uh, and then you've got Justin Fields, and nobody knows what you're going to get out of him just yet. So Jordan Love at the positions, at the weaponry position, you probably would say at this point it would be Minnesota, right? I think Justin Jefferson is the best non-quarterback in the NFL. I think he's the best player right. in football that's not a quarterback, and that is worth yeah. so much. Yeah. So, okay, so you've got you, you've got all of that. Um. So who who then, in essence, talent-wise, if you just strictly go off a of talent, who would you go with as being the most talented team in the division? Detroit still? Because we haven't mentioned Detroit up the gut. We haven't mentioned Detroit when it comes to weapons. Detroit's got a good offensive line. They've been investing in that position a lot, and they've had a mm -hmm. lot of high picks. So I think right. it's Detroit, but Detroit isn't San Francisco. Detroit isn't Philly. Right. Detroit is maybe the best roster, probably the best roster, in a division of a lot of middling teams. You know, yeah. you, uh, they still have, you know, Ragnow. It seems like Ragnow has been around forever, but he's only been around since, I think, 2017, 2018, something like that. But uh, Jackson is their guard. Uh, it's Taylor Decker, I think, is their tackle. And when I start thinking about the best offensive line, God, if you go with Bakhtiari and Elton Jenkins at that left side, it's hard to argue with that. Yeah, uh, that's I, that's just, something else that was mentioned on Get Up is their offensive line hopefully is going to be settled and healthy and yeah. organized for the first time in a bit now. Right. So I I just I'm kind of like, well, yeah. I, I I just I still think a lot of the positions of the Green Bay Packers are probably worthy of winning the division. I and we all go back to who's leading your team. I think you're going to have to rely a lot this year on the offensive line, and that's where a lot of this play is going to come from. If they give him time to throw the ball and Love is accurate enough, he'll have success. If the guys that they picked up 
uh, in Musgrave and Kraft, if those guys also come of age, Jaden Reed certainly, you know, opened a lot of eyes in, in, you know, some of the OTAs and minicamps. If those guys are able to play and kind of contribute, they don't have to be superstars early, but if they can contribute early, move the sticks, get them into a rhythm. If Matt LaFleur, I know Matt LaFleur hates this because he's, well, I don't know what a Matt LaFleur offense is, but it, look, Matt LaFleur, his, his play calling is going to be more spotlighted this year than any year he's had in Green Bay. And that includes going to an NFC championship game. It is because we don't know, we never knew for sure who was calling the plays. We assume we took Aaron Rodgers as his, at his word that he wasn't, but then we find out he's a liar. So we don't know. And Matt LaFleur wasn't going to throw him under the bus, so we don't know. So we believe that Matt LaFleur is going to be – it's going to be incumbent upon him to put Jordan Love in the best possible position to be successful this season. So that's kind of where we're all at. So I'm, I'm excited, even though he doesn't like to hear the term the Matt LaFleur offense, I'm excited to see what Matt LaFleur is going to do. Is he going to be able to put this team into a rhythm? And probably the bigger question is going to be, outside of the first 15 or 20 plays that are scripted, and, and when this team faces adversity, because we have seen them time and again, Aaron Jones fumbles, the team goes into a shell. Mercedes Lewis fumbles, the team goes into a shell. They, Rogers throws a pick, the team goes into a shell. Does this team have the ability to overcome its own kind of self-inflicted adversity? Because this offense certainly hasn't over the last couple of years. It's gone into kind of a very predictable, shotgun-oriented, stand back, let, let Aaron do his thing type of shell without the personnel around him to be able to accomplish the feat that they needed. So I'm wanting to see what Aaron, what, or excuse me, what Jordan Love and Matt LaFleur are going to be able to do when this team does face adversity because we know it's not if it's going to happen, it's when it's going to happen because of a young quarterback being under center. So those are the big things that I'm looking for this year uh, with this team. But I so we can sit here and talk about the personnel of teams. Certainly Detroit looks to be probably the most complete if you want to go in that direction. And they have put some put some good effort over the last couple of years. Kirby Joseph, who they picked in the third round, who became a starter at the strong safety for them. Uh, Brian Branch, who they picked up this year in the second round, uh, kind of playing the nickelback position. Jack Campbell uh, immediately going into the linebacking position, being one of the better linebackers that were out there. Uh, Broderick Martin adding some depth to that uh, defensive line. So when you look at, de- at at Detroit, what they've done, the additions they've made, they're probably one of the better, deeper teams when it comes to overall depth for the NFC North. But I just I don't know if I can really still I, – I, I, I keep thinking they're the Lions. <laughs> you just – when you – it's kind of like, you know, when you say Wisconsin, you've said it all. It's kind of like when you, you say Detroit, you expect a loss. <laughs> it's just the way it goes. So that's kind of what I expect out of the NFC North this year. Uh, 877-867-1670. Meanwhile, the Milwaukee Brewers, they uh, get off extremely hot. And I guess the next question that everybody's asking me is, so I'll ask you and I'll give you my answer to this. The uh, two or three people have already reached out this morning in the first hour, and I've had two more since we've gone on here in the second hour, and they've said, are you finally a believer that Christian Yelich is back? And as much, and I know you're going to roll your eyes at this, as much as I want to say yes, I can't. I can't. He's hitting 286. He's putting up almost, and now he's not putting up uh, Otani numbers, but he's putting up some of the MVP numbers that you know he, he's had from years gone by. He's got 13 dingers on the season. He's past the halfway point of the season. So at this point, you'd probably say he's on pace for 24, 25 home runs. Um, 
He's got 47 walks. The strikeouts have been the one thing that I look at with Christian Yelich is he's seeing the ball and putting the bat on the ball now. He's not striking out. He's not. He doesn't look like he's guessing. He looks like he's kind of got it figured out, and that's huge. His OPS is sitting at 850. He's got a slugging percentage of 472. He's got that average, like I said, at 286. His on-base percentage is damn near 380. At 378, I think is what it is when I looked. His war numbers are huge. So, uh, you know, do I believe he's back? I said it at the beginning of the season, and I'll stick to it. I'll believe it's he's back when he does it fully this year. And say, if he if these numbers are the numbers he produces by the end of the season, not only will I begin to believe, because you got to back it up with another year. You can't just have one year and then go back to being, you know, two to three years of hitting 204, okay? I, I believe he worked out hard this year. I believe he got himself in better shape this year. He looks thicker this year. He looks stronger this year. He still is late on a good fastball on the outside, but he's putting the bat on the ball, and he's hitting to the left side of the field more often than not. I'm excited about that. Now he's starting to hit the ball with more authority as he's catching up to it. So I'm not going to believe he's fully back until I see it for a couple of seasons, but I will say this. He has been on a tear for more than just a couple of weeks now. And that is incredibly encouraging. There are others that are saying, hey, I told you Yelich would be back, and, and that's fine because we've seen this before where you have the July terror and then the August swoon. So I hope he's back, but I don't believe it just yet. Not just yet. Uh, Grant, do you believe Christian Yelich is now back? Oh, man. It's a tough question. We've been asking this question for four years now. I think right? he's back to what the Brewers really need him to be. And maybe 2018, 2019, that was a wet and wild season in two months where he got really hot and hit a ton of homers. And we might never see that again. But if this is Christian Yelich, the, the Brewers can build around this version of Christian Yelich. This Christian Yelich can lead a team that makes the postseason and competes with other good teams. We might never see the end of 2018, 2019 again. But right. I, I think if we're always waiting for that, Bill, we're just always going to be disappointed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, I am not saying he's back just yet. I am uh, I'm very cautiously optimistic, but I'll say this, and I've said it before, just enjoy the ride. Because when he's on and things are good, it seems like the team kind of rallies around him. So I'm 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 just I'm hoping he he just kind of continues it. By the way. Uh, the uh, play Adamas had the other day and Contreras behind the plate, defensively speaking, have been nothing short of fantastic. And it's stuff that doesn't even get statistically um, written down. But how many times have we seen Contreras pick a ball three feet out in front of the plate out of the dirt, prevent runners from advancing and or throwing a runner out at second? It's, it, he's, he's defensively really good. And I, I um, made a note of this the other day. We were watching the game. I don't even know where we were at. We were watching the game. And Contreras just it, – it was it was first and third. Contreras had a ball bounce way out in front of the plate. And not only did he knock it down, but he scooped it and was able to, like, threaten a throw to first. And right then and, – and then they ended up getting out of the inning. And right then and there I thought, that's a huge moment because had that ball gotten past him, run scores, runner advances, changes the dynamic of that at bat, and instead, it was just basically a, a, a you know a one two three at bat, and then it was pretty much done after that. And you just you it's those things that you don't write down. You don't see 
specifically to say, oh, this statistic of him throwing out a runner at second or this statistic of him, you know, throwing out a guy down at third or making a play, you know, gathering a bun up out in front of, you know, home plate and gunning down to first or throwing a runner out at third. Those things where assists happen, those aren't, you know, those are actual statistics you're going to make a notch with. These little things that he does, just, man, just amazing. Just amazing. And his uh, his pitch placement, whew, really, really good. Uh, 877-867-1670, 877-867-1670. If you want to give us a shout, please feel free. The other question regarding the Milwaukee Brewers, and my God, everybody's asking it, and I'll mention it to you when we come back. Stay tuned. A whole lot more of the Bill Michael Show coming up this portion of the program. Brought to you by the oldest operating racetrack in the world. Great Lakes Dragway, Union Grove, Wisconsin. They still have a lot of great racing and a lot of great dates. Go to Great Lakes Dragway. If you have the need for speed, greatlakesdragway.com. That is greatlakesdragway.com. Covering Wisconsin sports like a blanket, this is the Bill Michael Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Welcome to Pella. Hi. It's come to my attention. I need new windows. You do? Hey, sweetie, what's this? My art project. Honey, it's rotten. We need to toss it. Then why do we have to keep our rotten windows, Dad? Well, you came to the right place. Pell has a limited lifetime warranty on our wood windows, so this doesn't happen again. Thank you. Visit PellaWI.com today. Monday, Brewers are hot, and um, the Reds, we're going to talk about to Cincinnati and their prowess after this weekend to sweep by the Brewers, and the Brewers beating up on Cincinnati, quite frankly, um, but uh, the fact that uh, the Brewers have disposed of them now five out of the last six times, and where does this put Cincinnati in the, in, in the mentality mix, so to speak? We'll talk with Mo Egger of ESPN Radio coming up here at the bottom of the hour. So stay tuned for that. Looking forward to it because uh, we'll get their perspective in all of this. Uh, I, I think it goes without saying that the, we were all on board with a bat a couple of weeks ago. The Brewers, in essence, are starting to hit. Um, is it still a bat they need? What is the Brewers' weakest spot right now? What is the Brewers' weakest link? And then the next question, is it time to bring up Keston Hura? I mean, he is just raking in the minors. We know he's a career minor leaguer. He's always hit. He's always done extremely well. But is it time to give Keston Hura another shot? One, and, and here's the other question, because if you, if you bring him up, you don't have the ability to say, send him back down. I mean, this is it. You bring him up, he doesn't work out, you got to cut him loose. You know, this would, in essence, be his final shot. And, and 
Grant, would you, with the way he's playing, would you take a shot within the team first before going out and getting somebody else via trade? Or would you just say, let's stick with uh, somebody on the outside that we might trust more rather than Keston Hira? I have no problem with a Keston Hira call-up, especially now because Rowdy Tellez jacked up his finger, shagging fly ball. Bill, why why right. are you messing around doing that, Rowdy Tellez? Just let the ball go. You're Whatever. We don't need to talk about the Rowdy Tellez thing. But I, I'd be fine with a Keston Hira <laughs> call-up. Just don't tell me you're calling him up because he's lighting it up in AAA because he is always lit it up in AAA. Right. Right. That 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 doesn't Completely. mean anything to me. His numbers in AAA don't mean anything to me. The Brewers need a guy. If you want Keston, fine. But don't tell me you got to call because he's lighting it up in AAA. That's nothing new. Right. Yeah, I, I would completely agree. And I don't. I look at I look at what he's doing and think that's great. But it's kind of like with with Christian Yelich. It's like you fooled me. Fool me once. Shame on you. Fool me twice, fool me three times, five times. Shame on me for believing in you. And that's kind of where I'm at with Keston Hero. That's the same reason I'm so pessimistic about Christian Yelich. Now, Christian Yelich has had success and knows how to have success, but there's been a lot of eyebrows raised. Let's be let's just kind of put it all on the table. Let's, whether it's the stealing signs, hanging out with Ryan Braun, eating gummies, there's been a lot of the eyebrows of why did he have that massive success and then it went from mass success to nothing. I mean, it's not like it tailed off by you know 20 points and 10 less homers. I mean, it went to nothing. So there's always been that eyebrow raised. Now, with, with Keston Hira, he's never produced in the bigs. His first year, his first call-up, that series in Atlanta, he was amazing. And he hit the hell out of the ball. He was off to this fast start, and then they started to catch up with him. And then they moved him, okay. Uh, granted, they started tinkering with him. He was going to be an outfielder. He was going to be a first baseman. No, he's going to go back to second. Then he was going to do third. And they were thinking of all these different things they wanted to do with him. And I think that screwed him up, too. Uh, but I just I, – I wait to see if, if he still can actually do it. So, um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm pessimistic regarding Keston here. I would much rather make a trade and either find yourself a bat, a legitimate first baseman, and what have you, and maybe depth in the outfield and, and go in that direction. And, and at this point, I know people say they don't want a rental, but at this point I'd take a rental for a, you know, a, a mid-level prospect and who knows, cash considerations, whatever. But you got to do something. You got to do something in a positive, and it wouldn't hurt if you get another arm in the bullpen. I mean, I know that they've had a lot of success here as of late. You can never have enough pitching, never. So if you end up finding another arm, I'm good with that too. But I think we've talked about it time and again. First base, as much as people like the term rowdy, um, Rowdy Telez is just uh, he's he's not having the season you want him to have. Hitting what well, I don't even know what he's hitting right now. He's, he's barely above 200 or barely above 210. Uh, but it just he just hasn't had it. And, it, and even his home run uh, prowess at this point is nowhere what it needs to be. I mean, Willie Adamas, he takes a beating. I get it. But at least that guy leads the team in home runs. You know, he's still giving you at least pop. Where Rowdy Telez isn't even giving you that. It's not like he's, he's playing this tremendous defense. He's not stealing bases. He's not taking a tremendous amount of walks and then stealing bases. There's none of that. And if, if the guy's going to go station to station to score a run on a walk – you're going to have to, you know, hit four singles to be able to get him in because you're not you're not going to get him in on a base knock from – he's not scoring from second. That's for damn sure. He's, you know, 
pulling a beer wagon behind him. So that's not going to happen. So I don't know why. I, I like Rowdy. He's a fun guy. But if he's not going to help you, got to go. Got to move on. Rowdy Telez might not score from second. That's not going to stop Jason Lane from trying, though, Bill. He's still going to try. <laughs> no, no. I won't stop Jason Lane. He's got the windmill going. I agree. He's got the windmill going. Go ahead, Rowdy. Try to score. At least if you know, at least slide. Maybe you're you're big enough where you slide. You just take everybody out. Umpire, home plate, your catcher, everything. Maybe dig a big, big, big hole there. They got to come out and fill in. It's kind of like maybe a an asteroid hitting the Earth. That would be what uh, Rowdy Telez scoring from second would be. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the Cincinnati side of things and where the red because really it's a two team race over in the in in the uh, NL Central now. That's it. Two team race. Cincinnati, uh, Pittsburgh's done. The Cubs are eight games back, but they're not going to catch anybody. St. Louis sucks. They're they're double digits way back. It, it's over for them. They should be sellers. They should burn that thing down. It's been a travesty for what they've done this year, what they haven't done this year, and that is win. So it's really a two-team race. What are the Reds thinking now after just not being able to beat the Milwaukee Brewers? When we come back, we'll talk with Mo Egger of ESPN Radio down in Cincinnati and a faux pas down there by a Hall of Famer, and we'll get his thoughts on all of that as well. Stay tuned. We've got a whole lot more of the Bill Michael Show coming up right after this. Ready? This is the Bill Michael Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. It's summer and Road America's in mid-season form. Get your tickets now for NASCAR's Xfinity Series at RoadAmerica.com. That's RoadAmerica.com. Welcome back to Bill Michael's show. We continue on and uh, glad to have you today. Good day today. A good weekend. Good to be back from vacation. And uh, I was uh, down in uh, the uh, the Queen City neck of the woods just outside in Brookville, Indiana for quite some time and then came back and watched the Brewers get the wins over the weekend. And now uh, we go to Mo Egger, our guy down at ESPN Radio down in Cincinnati. And uh, the Brewers are standing at 8-2 and two against Cincinnati this year with only three games remaining. Mo, uh, a lot of anticipation for the uh, second half of the season for the fan base in the Queen City and the Reds. But what did this weekend series do to that uh, kind of optimism? Uh, I think the air is out of the balloon a little bit. Um, you know, obviously it's relative to the excitement, not just going into this weekend, but going into last weekend where it was effectively the beginning of a six-game series. The team went into that series in Milwaukee having played so well. Uh, for the bats to largely go silent is frustrating. I- I'm not sure it's obviously you never expect to get shut out three consecutive games, but a- at some point they were going to cool off. The frustrating thing, though, is is the timing. It came against the team against whom they're competing in the National League Central. I still think it's a two-team race. I still think the Reds are going to be in it for uh, the bulk of the last uh, two and a half months, but... Uh, if if they end up on the outside looking in, or if they don't win the National League Central, I think it's pretty reasonable to point to the last two weekends as a major reason why. Especially if it ends up being a close race that the uh, that the Brewers edge Cincinnati out in. Now I know they, you know, ownership down there has stated that they're in it to win it. So what do you expect them to do? What are the biggest needs? Is it pitching right now for this team? Well, yes. Uh, I, you know, contrary to what you might have seen this weekend, I think offensively they're they're going to be fine. They're not as bad as they were. 
uh, against Milwaukee offensively. They're, they're probably not as good as they were going into that uh, series. But, but I, I think the two major needs are, number one, they need another lefty reliever. They only have one in Alex Young. Uh, I think David Bell could use another one at his disposal. And they need starting pitching help. Um, you know, the fact that this team, I think you and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, uh, the fact that this team has gotten to where they've gotten with Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo not contributing all that much and with the starting pitching, at least in the first half of the season, being among the league's worst is remarkable. So, uh, But there's, there's different ways that the starting pitching is going to have to improve. First of all, and I think you saw a very, very encouraging sign from Graham Ashcraft, he's got to pitch better than he did before he went on the injured list. The good news is his last three starts, he's been quite good. Secondly, they've got to get Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo back, and they've got to get them back to stay, and they've got to stay and be effective. Uh, the hope is August, but I fully anticipate that they're going to be in the market for a veteran starting pitcher. The problem is there's right now probably still more buyers than sellers. It's going to cost a lot. The good news is the Reds have a little bit of a surplus of prospects, specifically in the infield. And so my guess is they, they do something to, to bring a veteran starting pitcher in. The main question I think most of us have is what are they willing to give up and how aggressive will they be in acquiring starting pitching help? Well, that was going to be my next question because the Brewers went through this some years ago when they had a plethora of things to be able to bargain with in the minor league system, and they kind of went for it. And if you don't win it, then all of a sudden you're left holding your hands out and your pockets are empty and you're going, wait a minute, what do we do? So I guess my question is, how deep are the Reds willing to go to say this might be our time or at least an opportunity to really take that step forward? My guess is pretty deep. And, and look, uh, ownership has gotten and has deserved a lot of criticism that they've gotten for being cheap. I think some of that criticism has been a little bit misplaced, but it's fair, you know, relative to all the expensive players they moved on from. Um I think, first of all, this is a franchise that hasn't advanced in the postseason since 1995. I think a fair assessment of the National League Central would, would dictate that you probably think next year's division is going to be more difficult. And they do have a little bit of a track record of when they have a surplus of going for it. Now, you have to go back a ways, but I always bring up 2012. Uh, the winner prior to that season, the Reds traded away four eventual All-Stars for starting pitching, and bullpen help. And for the purposes of the regular season, those moves paid off. Matt Latos and Sean Marshall helped the Reds win 97 games. Unfortunately, the team collapsed in, in the playoffs, but they gave up a lot to get something of value in return. Um, obviously, different era, different general manager. But I think Nick Kroll is going to be given the green light here to go, okay, look, we've got a nice reserve of quality prospects. The farm system at least from a position player standpoint, I don't think has been as good as good as it is right now this century. And so I think he'll be given the green light. Now, there's still uh, a couple of weeks of, of baseball to be played between now and July 31st. If they totally melt down and they're suddenly seven or eight games out, maybe that changes things. But I think if they are still within striking distance, Nick Crawl is going to be given the green light to go and do something substantial. And I think it will come at a cost but the Reds do have a surplus of young players uh, from which they can deal. You and I are both uh, somewhat surprised at the complete collapse of the St. Louis Cardinals. I mean, they just have completely fallen off the radar, and their season's, in essence, done. Can you see a situation in which the Cardinals would be a 
a a a trader, uh, you know, somebody that would jump into the trade market within their own division? Because I know there's been a lot of talk about that via MLB Network over the weekend. Yeah, I, you know, whether the Cardinals would be willing to do it, I don't know. I'm I'm of the belief that look, you you, you make your organization better. And forget who you're dealing with, right? I mean, I find it awfully short-sighted to just eliminate the possibility of trading, you know, from a Reds perspective. I've talked about this on my show. If you're going to go, look, we're not going to trade with the Cardinals, the the Cubs, or the Pirates, I think that's incredibly short-sighted. I know Pittsburgh and Chicago are in a little bit different position than St. Louis. I think if you're the Cardinals, I think if you're any team, prioritize making your team better. And – if that comes at the expense of making another team in your division better, honestly, who cares? If you believe in what you're doing and you believe in in what you're getting from that team, if you're uh, John Mozeliak and you're making a trade with the Reds and you can get Christian Encarnacion Strand or Noel de Marte, who are two very highly touted prospects, and they make your franchise better, if that comes at the expense of maybe fortifying the Reds a little bit for the short term, so be it. Would the Cardinals be willing to do it? I don't know. Would the Reds? I think so. You know, again, they they have done trades with uh, the Cubs. They have done a trade with uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates relatively recently. I I certainly don't think they are, you know, going to prioritize making a deal with the Cardinals for the sake of making the Cardinals better. But if they can get Jack Flaherty, uh, yeah, I I, I think they would do that. I think they would do business with St. Louis, whether or not St. Louis would be willing to do the same uh, is is anyone's guess, but this is obviously not a position that we're used to seeing them be in. So it'll be uh, interesting to see how it plays out. Do you feel it's important for this team just to get to the postseason, just to kind of say your your best foot is now moving forward, and you're not same old same old? Yeah, I mean, look, I I feel like really regardless of how of where they finish, you're going to look at the season and go. Boy, the, th- this was significant progress from where they were, and the arrow for the organization is pointed upward. That they have a chance to be pretty good next year and pretty good in two years. That I think the fun of this season is it feels like it's the start of something, but I, I do feel like it would it, it would mark significant tangible progress. Hey, we made the playoffs, and our younger players got some playoff experience. And we can go into next season, regardless of how they would fare in October, we can go into next season. And it's not simply getting to the postseason that we have to check off. We've done that. Now let's build upon it. I don't know that it's make or break. I don't think anybody's job is on the line. I don't know that anybody, if they fall a game or two short of making the playoffs, is going to go, oh, man, what a disaster of a season. Blow it up. Uh, but, but, yeah, especially in the, you know, the, the watered-down version of the playoffs we have now where there's six teams, with the division not being very good this year, sure, yes. Uh, I think it would be a big deal, a bigger deal than I think a lot of people here are willing to admit, by the way. I think it would be a big deal for this team to qualify for the postseason, and I think it would be beneficial for a lot of these players to get a chance to play in the postseason. I also think it would give Joey Votto possibly uh, his last postseason stage because we don't know if he's going to be back next year, and it'd be cool for him to get some sort of postseason moment, which uh, really through no fault of his own, he really hasn't have, had a chance to, to get. So uh, before I let you go, i got to ask you, what has the reaction been regarding Johnny Bench's comments uh, over the weekend? I think everybody shrugged their shoulders and said, that's Johnny trying to be Johnny. Uh, it, it, it was uh, an attempt to humor that missed its mark. Johnny Bench is not an anti-Semite. 
Uh, I think it was an attempt at humor and possibly outdated humor that simply missed its mark. Uh, he was at the Reds Hall of Fame dinner last night. The, uh, the, the issue was not brought up. It wasn't brought up by the daughter of Gabe Paul, who's the uh, uh, former general manager who went into the Reds Hall of Fame last night, who is Jewish. Uh, I think most people here just, just sort of shrugged their shoulders and said, all right, uh, Johnny took a, a stab at being funny. Uh, it missed its mark. He didn't many, mean any ill will. And, and by the way, I I believe that. I've 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 heard Johnny. You know, I've heard his uh, I've heard his attempts at humor. Uh, uh, you might say they're cringeworthy. I don't yes. really think they're coming from a place of maliciousness or hate. No, I would agree with that. I just uh, after what happened, uh, the couple controversies that have been down there over the last couple of years, and I hate to bring up Tom, but what Tom Brenneman went through. And now this, and I kind of think, okay, are they just rolling their eyes going, my God, we can't have anybody speak anymore? Or was this just one of those, hey, Johnny's, <laughs> Johnny's got a lot of respect. Johnny's got a lot of uh, eyes and ears on him. Uh, he, you know, Johnny isn't a funny guy. He, sh- he will never do stand-up, that's for damn sure. Uh, no, no. Uh, <laughs> it, you know, it, it, it was cringeworthy, um, and it was unfortunate. And, you know, you hate for all parties involved. That, that kind of became the story during a weekend of celebration for three people who go into the Reds Hall of Fame, and they do such a great job with that. I, I, I don't think Johnny Bench has hate in his heart. I don't think Johnny yeah. Bench is an anti-Semite. I think he took a stab at humor that missed his mark, and uh, I think most here in town would, uh, would agree. Look, uh, he's got a big Red Machine teammate that has said and done a lot of things that have made me cringe, and they keep bringing Pete Rose back. So... Uh, I gotta think Johnny Bench will be uh, will, will be brought back time and again for as long as he for as long as he lives. No doubt, good stuff. Uh, Mo, enjoy yourself and uh, appreciate you as always, bud. Thanks. Okay, Bill. Thank you. Talk to you, pal. There you go. That's our buddy Mo Egger from ESPN Radio in Cincinnati at Mo Egger E G G E R over on Instagram and on Twitter and such. You can follow his stuff there. The Reds still a threatening team, but will they have enough? to be able to, pitching-wise, to be able to overtake uh, Milwaukee. And uh, the Brewers only have three games left with them. And remarkably, the team that, uh, you know, obviously they're they're fending off for the top spot in the division. If they played the Reds every day, they'd be winning the division by six games. They're 8-2 and two against them, the Brewers are, with three games remaining on the docket. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what, uh, what, you know, what happens in Cincinnati. But I think the Brewers, I think they have the stronghold. I think they have the stronghold. So let's do this. We'll step away. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. Got a lot more of the Bill Michael Show. It's all coming up right after this. This is the Bill Michael Show on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Welcome to Pella. Hi. It's come to my attention. I need new windows. You do? Hey, sweetie, what's this? My art project? Honey, it's rotten. We need to toss it. Then why do we have to keep our rotten windows, Dad? Well, you came to the right place. Pell has a limited lifetime warranty on our wood windows, so this doesn't happen again. Thank you. Visit PellaWI.com today.
Thanks to our friends over there at Quick Trip, uh, the official fuel provider of the uh, the Big Unit Cruiser. Cruising around out there, and uh, a lot of miles about to be put on that thing over the next couple of weeks. So thanks to our friends at Quick Trip. Don't forget, every time you stop in, use your Quick Rewards card. I can't tell you how many people um, over the uh, over the weekend uh, that were here from out of town via the Harley-Davidson 120th celebration, um, how many people like really liked Quick Trip. They were like, wow, this is really good. Uh, I saw a group of riders, uh, and they were from, um, I believe it was Texas. I, I might be mistaken. I believe they were from Texas. But they were combat vets. It was one of their combat vets associations. And they were from Texas, and they were right out here in the Waukesha area. There's probably about 12, 15 of them. But they all stopped for breakfast. They didn't go to a lot of the fast food places. They all stopped for breakfast because they like the breakfast sandwiches. So they, it's people out of town. They, they know what kind of a gem we have right here in our own backyard, the state of Wisconsin. That's our friends at Quick Trip. Whether it's the, the take-home meals, the beer caves, bread, milk, butter, eggs, whatever it happens to be, Quick Trip's got you covered. And don't forget, every time you go, don't forget to use your Quick Rewards card as well. Uh, 877-867-1670. If you want to find us, please feel free. Go ahead and do so. Again, 877-867-1670. We still got Louie on the line, Grant? Louie dropped off. I was checking Louis in with him. Off during Mo? Yeah, he okay. had to he had to be somewhere. Mo dropped off. Mo actually just wanted to ask you about uh or not Mo, but another caller just wanted to ask you about where you play golf. He's like, I don't want to be on. It was it was Brad in Marshfield. He's like, are oh, you okay. and Mike Clemens gonna golf this course in Green Bay? That uh the, the one that Mark Murphy just bought. I'm like, well, I, I'll ask him. I heard, sure. I heard about it. Where where is it? I'm I not sure. They, 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 he did or has an investment in it or whatever. I, I don't specifically know, but uh, I, you know what? I, I do love to golf. I don't play like I, do you play golf, Grant? I haven't golfed in five or six years. I don't. Okay. I, uh, I used to play years ago. I used to play probably 50 to 60 tournaments a year, uh, as much as I possibly could, but that was because I didn't have to go into work until late afternoon or early evening. And then after that, I kind of cut back. And one day I'll, I'll tell you the God's honest truth. I was on the golf course. And I was my buddy Mike Lehman. I was playing an Ironwood golf course, and I, I had played a terrific front nine. I was playing the Meath, which uh, was my back nine at the time. And through about three holes, I, I then just began to suck. Like, nobody, nobody's business. It was just awful. And I was getting pissed. I mean, like, angry, competitive, you know, wanting to bend your clubs but didn't type of pissed. And I thought to myself, why? I'm not going pro. I'm not playing against anybody. I'm not losing money. I'm not making money. Why am I getting so mad and so aggravated and my anxiety level so high because of something that's a leisure sport that I love to do? And that's when I said, okay, you need to back off. There's a lot of things that you can do in life besides just play golf that are fun. And that's when I started riding my motorcycle more or I started boating more. I took a lot of pride in my yard, my house, the tiki bar, downstairs, you know, just a lot of things that satisfy you when you can look at a job well done and say, okay, there you go, as opposed to getting so pissed off and wanting to beat the hell out of everything on a golf course because I was just that competitive. And even if you're playing yourself, you're not. You're playing the course. And I still play, but now when I go play, there are times I don't even keep score. I I just go out and play just to create good shots, just to kind of keep my swing and do it for more physicality and a fitness type of thing than anything. So that's when I cut way, way back on the on the time that I play golf. I've never seen Mike Clemens play golf. I don't even know if Mike does. Does Mike do anything except work and sleep? 
I don't know. I did see that Mike <laughs> was out and about. I think Mike was at Bastille Days uh, downtown Milwaukee this past weekend. Uh, and Mike was at Summerfest uh, because I got, just before I left for vacation, Mike stopped by the house and um, he wanted to see the new studio anyway. But he wanted some. T- I got him some tickets to Summerfest, and so he ended up, you know, doing that. But um, usually, I mean, this is it. I mean, Mike is right now. He's breathing. He's happy. Uh, I know he's probably trying to get a hold of Randy Hawk out there in, in Madison inside mm-hmm. the building there. He's trying to get a hold of Randy. Hey, Randy, you got me back again this year, right? And Randy. You know, we all move like an iceberg at times, and Mike's, Mike gets nervous, and then Mike will go, okay, thank you. And then we're all back, and then everybody gets going, and training camp begins, and we dive back into that pool. But, um, yeah, I don't I, – I don't, once football season gets here, boy, Mike Mike doesn't do a whole lot. Well, Mike was Mike at Bastille Days, but let's be real. He was probably walking around saying, so what do you think about the safety group for this? Oh, absolutely. And Mike is – People at concession yeah, stands and stuff, just, you know, reading the right? crowd. Right. Mike is wanting to know everything. Mike is wanting to know if A.J. Dillon was down there and is he uh, having a wine? And if he is having a wine, what type of wine is he having? And does he prefer one vineyard over the other? Was Aaron Jones floating around? Was Jordan Love there incognito? You know, is any of the Packers players actually in town? Are they all out of town? And then if they're all out of town, what does Mike do when they're all out of town? I always picture Mike like in somebody's bushes. You know, kind of waiting for them to get home to pop up with a recorder to say, "Hey, you know, can I talk to you a minute?" Or getting a behind-the-scenes story. You know, Mike's some guy. He's it's one of the coolest things to do is to talk to Mike. You know, as we drive when Mike and I go back and forth to to Green Bay, and we're sitting in the car down to Chicago or Minnesota, Detroit, whatever. And you sit in the car and you just talk, and we just kind of start, you know, BSing and giving our thoughts and our opinions, and you know what there is and what you heard versus what I heard, and this and that. It's it's absolutely fascinating. Fascinating. Two hours down, two hours yet to go. A lot more. Stay tuned. The Bill Michael Show. We continue with a lot more coming up right after this.